You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Money Honey Rachel. Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm Allison from Retire by 45. This is A Purple Life, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. They told me that I would regret it. You see, I had made the decision to leave clinical medicine to no longer see patients and never practice again. And they told me I would regret it. They said that my financial situation might look different in 10 or 15 years. And then once I convinced them that my finances were in order, they said that I would lose my purpose and meaning. What would I do when I didn't have that job to go to every day? All those years I had spent learning how to take care of people, all gone. They told me it was the wrong thing to do. And looking back, two years ago when I made this decision, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And yet, I am so glad that I decided to leave clinical medicine. I am so glad that I stopped seeing patients. I couldn't imagine carrying on that life anymore. And when I start thinking about it again, I get hives and my heart starts to race. This is a lot better than I ever thought it would be. And yet, if you're reading in the newspapers and listening to media and paying attention to what people are saying about the FIRE community, financial independence, retire early. There's a lot of talk about financial independence and not really much anymore about retiring early. In fact, the acronym FIRE is not really being used anymore. In fact, people are saying financial independence, retire optional or financial independence, retire never. Maybe it's the economy, maybe it's this pandemic, but the question looms large. Is there a backlash against financial independence? And speaking of retiring early, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WallethHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money, and best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com, that's W-A-L-L-E-T, 
H-A-C-K-S dot com and be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Dylan and Allison are the writers behind the blog Retire by 45 and the book Start Your Fire, A Modern Guide to Early Retirement. Dylan and Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. And you guys left your jobs, what, in 2015? Feels like forever ago, but yes, 2015. We accidentally fired. We got laid off from our jobs. So we weren't even aware of the fire movement when we were working. And we both got laid off. We were in the tech industry in San Francisco. We got laid off about a month apart from each other. And it was just unusual circumstances that that happened, kind of serendipitous. And at first we thought we would just take a little bit of time off. We thought we would just take a bit of a sabbatical and recharge our batteries and then go back to, to the workforce. But as it turned out, we, we fell in love with the lifestyle after a while. We started traveling. We started feeling really good, kind of like what you were saying, Doc. We, we no longer had those hives. We no longer had that stress. And five and a half years later, we totally don't regret that we never went back. Well, there must have been something in the water in 2015, because that was the year that Purple decided that attritional career wasn't for her. She wanted a different life, a Purple life. So she created a plan based on her income and spending at the time and calculated that she could retire by 2025 at the tender young age of 35. Purple, things have changed a little bit, haven't they? They have. I'm on track to retire next month at age 30. Next month at age 30. So I hear this over and over again. People start a trajectory and a few years in, it's shortened quite a bit. And you're another example. I've heard this many times that people find when they really put their money to it, they start reaching their goals much faster than they thought they would. Definitely. And my original goal was based on my income at the time and my expenses. And that all changed. A happy change. Yep. Rachel Richards is the best-selling author of two books, including her latest, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. A former financial advisor, she now lives off passive income streams, including book royalties and rental income. Rachel, how old were you when you quote-unquote retired? I quit my job and quote unquote retired last year at the age of 27. Now, I, I, I did those kind of air quote things that don't work really well in podcasts because we throw around this word retirement a lot or retired, and I think a lot of us disagree. So what does the word retired mean to you? To me, I use the words retired and financially independent interchangeably. So ultimately, when I think of being retired or I call myself retired, it's really that I have the freedom to work when, where, and if I want. Dylan and Allison, I'm wondering if your definition is similar. You write in your blog that you fired in 2015. And I'll say that fired, for those of us who are not part of the financial independence retire early community, means you made the decision to leave your jobs and at least leave what we would call customary employment, right? Going to that W-2, clocking in, clocking out. At that time, I know it was an accident in the sense that you at one point thought about going back to work, but as you decided to really throw in the towel, were you spurning work in general? Were you like, okay, this is it? 
we're never going to go back? Or is it more like we'll consider making money in the future, just not worrying about it now? Uh, Well, so I think part of it is working in the tech industry. You kind of either age out or are aged out. And we had kind of hit that threshold where people were talking about things at the coffee maker and we're like, what is TikTok? <laughs> what is, not MySpace, because obviously we're not that old, but you know, it, it, it became a sort of thing where people would look at you and think, oh, you must be management or you must be at the, the exec level. And we were not. And I know I personally had never aspired to that. Dylan was more or less in that, in that, at that level. But for us, it was just, we were done with working and whether the workforce was done with us or we were done with the workforce, going back to a W2 was never, never high on our radar. Once we realized that we had saved up and invested enough money that we didn't need to, there was, you know, we were never really tied up in our work as our identity. So not having a W-2 from a job wasn't a deal breaker for us mentally or emotionally. Dylan Allison mentions that you weren't tied up in work as your identity. When you left the workplace, did you have a plan for what that identity would become? No, not at all. It, it organically became what it, what it is now. And that's actually one of the things that I like about our lifestyle is that it's not set in stone. It's a surprise. We don't really know what what we're going to be doing next year, even next month. When you're in the workforce and when you're working, everything's sort of scheduled for you to a certain degree. I do like the fact that things are unpredictable for us now. So, So yeah, no, we didn't have a plan and we create plans kind of as we go now. Purple, Dylan and Allison are a little bit older than you, right? They're in their 40s, and I'm a little bit older than them. But we've had that time in the workplace to decide what we like and what we don't like. And even this enjoyment of unstructured time comes after you've been through decades of being structured. You're 30 years old, and I've heard you say you have to decide what to do with the next 70 years of your life. Are you writing off the opportunity or the likelihood of being employed again? Is it something that even at your age, you're like, it's not going to happen? I don't write anything off, but right now I'm a little bit over it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is almost a decade that I've been working at a pretty high stress job in marketing. I've had six different jobs with six different companies. So I've kind of tried a lot of different avenues. I switched from working at ad agencies to working at marketing firms, tried a lot of different kinds of clients, bosses, all that stuff. So for the foreseeable future, I'd like a break, but I don't rule anything out. Rachel, you were a financial advisor when you started your career. Think in your financial advisor eyes, especially when you were beginning, if someone had come into your office, a 25-year-old, and said, I'd like to be done with work by 27. How would that have hit you at that time? I probably would have been excited because I think it's something that I have subconsciously always wanted to do and probably shocked because I don't think we see a lot of young people that 
want to do this and can actually pull it off. Normally, we think of retirement as something that's for 60 or 65 years old, 65 years old. But I think we're seeing a transition where a lot more young people want to leave the workforce and have freedom and flexibility and control of their time. Dylan and Allison, talk to me a little bit about that. We talk about early retirement as if everyone could do it. Is the trajectory you've taken open to most people if they want to retire early? Is it something that's reproducible? I would say it's difficult. It really depends on a lot of circumstances. And I I would say that we were pretty fortunate in a lot of ways. I don't discount the the fact that we were in the right place at the right time for our careers. We were in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area when the tech industry really took off. So we started working in the late 90s and we retired in the early 2010s. And so we really were, again, in the right place at the right time. But we also worked really hard. I mean, I think we, we were in the workforce much longer than Purple and Rachel. We worked for 17 years and we worked really hard. I mean, especially Alice, I was in marketing and I, similar to what Purple was saying, I, you do nothing. <laughs> I, I was in a lot of different jobs. Allison thinks I did absolutely nothing. Half the time I couldn't explain to people what the heck we were doing, but, but we were, you know, we were working hard. Allison worked a lot harder than me. She was working as a project manager, but anyway, so it is, you know, people can do it, but it, it's certainly difficult. And I think we were, we were in the right place at the right time, but we, we really focused, we really worked hard. We didn't know about all the stuff we know about now with like the 4% rule and the multiply by 25 and the 1% rule for real estate. But we were doing all those things. Looking back on it, we made some mistakes, but we did a lot of things right and we just stuck with it. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, people look at us and we're dual income, no kids. We work in the tech industry. Oh, well, you must have made the, you know, hit the lottery in an IPO or something. But none of the tech firms that we worked at either went IPO, they all went either went out of business or they were acquired before we got there. So for us, a lot of it had to do with a combination of luck and just really working hard to save money and live frugally and do all the the things that, you know, we espouse in the FIRE community. So I, I think it can be done. It might take longer. It might take shorter, depending on where you are in life and, you know, where you start out from. But it's definitely achievable, regardless, I think, of what your job is currently. It just might take a different path to get to the ultimate, whatever your ultimate destination is. I think everyone can get there. So Dylan mentioned a few terms, the 4% rule, the 25 times and the 1% rule. We're going to expand on that in just a moment, but I wanted to jump to Rachel first because I want to ask you the same question about reproducibility. And we should contrast this a little bit because Rachel's a little bit different in my opinion than me, Purple, and Allison and Dylan in the sense we went after financial independence by accumulating a certain amount of money and then using that money to provide an income to live for the rest of our lives. Rachel, you do some of that, I believe, but you're also much more into this idea of creating passive income streams that in real time produce money for you as opposed to that front-loading the sacrifice and accumulating a huge amount. Is your pathway, especially with these streams of passive income, is it reproducible? Is this something anyone can do who's interested in early retirement? 
Absolutely. I think it's one of the most attainable ways to achieve financial independence. The way I define passive income is it's money that's earned with little to no ongoing effort. Is it a get-rich-quick scheme? No, absolutely not. It takes time or money to create passive income. But when you think about the way that we have traditionally saved for retirement in the past that our parents and our grandparents have done, I call it the nest egg theory. And that's kind of what you're talking about. You save a big enough chunk of money so that when you're 65, in most people's cases, then you live off of that for the rest of your life. The problem that might have worked well in the past, but times have certainly changed. For example, you know, pensions aren't common anymore. The Social Security Trust Fund is projected to be fully depleted by the year 2035. So that's extremely alarming for my generation. The cost of college has placed an enormous burden on millennials and younger people. And then most people at this point, I just don't think it's attractive for a lot of people to work for 40 years and not have that freedom. You know, I want to do fun things now when I'm young and fit, not when I'm 65. So I think the nest egg theory, as I call it, has been debunked and we're looking at alternate ways to retire, passive income being one of them. And you are a real estate person. So our listeners understand the 1% rule has to do with what you charge rent in an apartment or condo or house that you buy and are a landlord for. Do you want to explain to people what that is? Yeah, absolutely. I own rental properties. My husband and I own almost 40 rental properties. So that makes up a big chunk of our passive income. And the 1% rule means that for every, for if you have a property that's $100,000, you should reasonably expect to rent it out for $1,000 per month. So 1% of the listing price. And so that's one of those great rule of thumbs when you're, especially when you're first learning real estate, that if you're trying to decide whether the rental income is worth the cost of the unit you're considering buying, that's a good way of at least starting the process. As with all rule of thumbs, they are just guidelines. And Purple, let's talk a little bit about guidelines because you and I both went for a little bit more of that nest egg model. How did you decide what enough was for you? What amount in that nest egg would support you, certainly if you use the 4% rule or if you thought about 25 times, talk about that a little bit. How do we define what enough is? So I actually didn't use the 4% rule of thumb or 25 times rule to get my number, but it looks like it because I was aiming to have half a million dollars by the time I retired. As of yesterday, I have 520 and I spend $18,000 a year living in the middle of Seattle. So I was assuming that my costs would probably increase. They could decrease because geo-arbitrage was also part of my plan, but in the age of Rona, we're seeing how that might not work out. Though domestic geo-arbitrage is still very much a thing within the U.S. So anyway, 25 times $18,000 a year is $450,000. So I wanted to have a little bit of a buffer on top of that not just because I'm extremely young, but also <laughs> because I'm cautious. So I ran the models to see what would have happened if I had retired in the last 147 years over 70-year periods. And that's how I got that number. In every case, even if I retired in 1929, I would have been fine because of the flexibility of my lifestyle and spending costs. And again, just to explain, the 4% rule, also known as the safe withdrawal rate, is the percentage of your portfolio that you could skim off and use to live every year. 
and then still have enough to support you for 30 plus years. So 4% of a million dollar portfolio would be, you'd be able to spend $40,000 a year. You're looking at a half a million dollar portfolio, which means you'd be able to spend $20,000 a year, which your cost of living, uh, I have to stop and gasp when I say this is $18,000 a year, which is not what my life looks like here in Chicago, but we will move on from there. Dylan and Allison, let's talk about this decision to retire early. As you said, in some senses, it was at least initially foisted on you. But now that you've been doing this for a few years, did you need to retire to do the things that you're enjoying now? Like, could you have worked them into your life before retirement or continued to work and pulled back a little and built this life that you have now without leaving work? That's a good question because... Um you know, every, it seems like every year we have some new passion project for lack of a better word. But a lot of the things that we do now, like we do a lot of volunteer work in the community. We, you know, we're trying really hard to keep our neighborhoods, small businesses thriving. And I don't know that we would have had time to do that when we were working, because when you work, all you do is you get up, you roll out of bed, you jump on the train or your car and you go to work and you work for eight to 12 hours a day. And then you come back home and you, you cook dinner and then you watch a little TV and then you go to sleep. Right? So there's not really a whole lot of time to get out into your neighborhood and meet your small business owners or meet the people who are working in your neighborhood. So we definitely could not have done that when we were working. Things like writing books. I know Dylan had always had an interest in being a book writer or writing a book at some point, but finding time to do that is hard to do when you're working. Traveling is obviously not an option when you're when you're working. It's hard to find a week to get like we had hard hard time finding a week that we could go somewhere together. And so inevitably we would push up push off going on vacation because it was so hard to align schedules correctly. So I think a lot of the things that we do now that we're retired, we probably could have done, but it would have taken a lot of time and effort to do them. And now we can just spend 100% of our time focused on the things that we want to do rather than trying to find time to squeeze in little pieces of, of what we want to do. One of the reasons that we didn't go back to the workforce or one of the things that really got us excited about FIRE was I had a uh, near-death experience in my late 30s. I had a pneumonia and I was in the ICU for 10 days. I was intubated. They had to put me in a coma. And it was really touch and go. I mean, I really actually almost died. And so after that experience, we started realizing, you know, life is just very short and we didn't want to spend it working ourselves to the bone. We wanted to actually really, you know, embrace it and enjoy the time that we have here. Dylan, with that in mind, talk about the decision to write a book. I mean, in a sense, didn't that feel like going back to work? It can be a frustrating and difficult process. Was there any feeling that maybe I shouldn't even do this? Like I should take it easy, spend my time doing other things? You know, I I wanted a challenge. And like I mentioned before, I was in marketing. So the only writing I ever did was like writing emails or proposals. And so this was a departure. And I I think one of the things that's really great about the FIRE lifestyle is you can put yourself outside of your comfort zone and get outside of your bubble and your box. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, I think both of us, Allison has a little bit more of a writing background. 
One of her teachers was Frank McCourt in New York City. So she was actually a pretty good writer. And so the, the book starts with me and then I shoot it over to her and she makes it much, much better. <laughs> <laughs> so as a team, it worked out really well. But it was, it was just, it's a fun project to work on. And like I said earlier, like we're always just looking for something new and interesting to do. And it's always a surprise kind of where things go. So Rachel, we're talking about financial independence, retire early or fire. Let's talk about being employed. Is there anything you miss? I mean, one thing that comes to mind is healthcare coverage, right? You get easy healthcare coverage when you have an employer. Now that you've been doing this for a while, is there sometimes when you wake up and you say, boy, it'd be really nice to be back there because of X. I definitely struggled with a couple of things at first. So funnily enough, when I quit my job, I sort of had this fear that I was going to become this lazy person and sleep all day and not have anything to do. And I guess I didn't know myself very well because the opposite of that happened. And I began working 80 hour weeks. (laughs) And the problem was that when you're going into a job or going into work, you have clear boundaries of when your work starts and ends. You're, You're going into an office and then you're leaving an office. And when I started my financial independence and sort of working on my own, I didn't have those clear boundaries, so I was working all day. The thing is, though, it didn't feel like work. It just felt like fun to me. I could do an entire day of teaching young people about finance and writing my book, and I'd be like, oh, that was a great day. But that can result in a lot of burnout, and it did. So having, so I have those boundaries now. I've gotten better at it, but definitely that was a tough transition at first. And then, you know, I it was hard for me to quit my job. It actually took me an entire year to go through with it. (laughs) And that's because I really did have a great job. I had a lucrative corporate finance career and I had a lot of fear of walking away. You know, what are people going to think? Am I, is this crazy? And I had a wonderful team and I was challenged. So I really had the best of it when it comes to working for somebody and I enjoyed it. So I, I do miss the team. I miss certain things. But I will say now that I am actually almost exactly a year in to financial independence and quitting my job, I definitely would never go back. This is the most fun I've ever had. Purple, you've heard of the hedonic treadmill, right? This idea that we buy things because it makes us feel good and quickly that feeling good fades away and we have to buy more and bigger and better things. Like this is a common thing we talk about in personal finance. You ever worry the same thing will happen with retirement? In a sense, retirement is a sort of hedonism, right? It's free time. It's letting go of responsibility. It's having this ability to make whatever decisions you want. You ever worry that that might get old? No. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't because I'm thinking of the next, well, fingers crossed, 70 years. And each decade, I imagine, will be a totally different life. I can decide this is the decade I'm going to go back and live in Italy again and learn how to make handmade pasta. I don't know. It can be a total, I can live many different lives. So I don't personally think it'll get old. Yeah, to add to that, I agree. I don't think it'll ever get old. I think the challenge more so becomes what is our purpose and how do we continually challenge ourselves and grow. And I think a lot of people have trouble with that. You know, so I always tell people, don't be so focused on the getting away from something and the quitting your job that you don't know what you're going towards. You have to have something to fill your time, some some passion, some means of fulfillment. It's funny you say that because I used to have the exact opposite opinion. (laughs) 
and I know now that I was wrong. <laughs> and I had that opinion because my mom retired at 55 in 2015. And since then, she has been a complete slug, as we like to say. <laughs> we call it slug life <laughs> between the two of us. And she does just put around all day. She plans trips with me. She goes to help her family. And that's about it. Nothing anyone could call work. She does have a rental property, but her husband manages it. So absolutely nothing providing quote unquote meaning, I guess. And she's been fine. She's been happy. So I thought that would be my path in retirement as well. And I'd be the same way. But I totally failed in that I started this blog <laughs> and it's brought me wonderful things like talking to all of you lovely people and I'm hooked. So I already have a path and purpose in retirement and it's given me a lot of fulfillment even now before I've quit. And it's interesting to draw the line too, Purple, because your mother is older, right? So she's, you know, been a parent. She's probably been in the workspace longer than you were. I do wonder if the correlation is different depending on how early you retire. So if you retire in your late 40s, early 50s, are you more likely to not worry as much of, about purpose and meaning? Whereas if you're doing it in your late 20s or early 30s, you might be a little more driven to define those things. That might be it. And also it might partially be that she's coming, well, she's finished five years of early retirement and now I'm dragging her along with me and my purpose. She's the editor <laughs> on my blog. She's been on podcasts with me. We're doing a video series with someone later this summer. So maybe I'm like sneaking some purpose into her life as well. <laughs> I was about to say, it sounds like you roped her in. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally, yes. <laughs> so Dylan and Allison, Tell me, you guys have been at this for a while now. Do you still have any fears, any worries you miscalculated that maybe things aren't what you thought they'd be? Well, I know that I every so often get it in my head that, oh my God, we didn't save enough money. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But on the flip side, honestly, we have we've probably gone even further than than we needed to go because we didn't know when we we didn't know what the rules were, so we didn't know how much we needed to save. We thought, oh, well, maybe we'll retire early at 55, and that'll be like a pretty good compromise because 65 just seems so far out there. But 55 seems fairly reasonable and young enough that we can still go out and do things. So when we retired at 43 and 44, it was like, holy, are we doing the right thing? And it took Dylan a long time to convince me. Like he he sat down, he played with numbers, like, and we had no idea what numbers to look at and what calculations to come up with. But, you know, he, it took a long time to convince me that we were, that we were okay to do what we were doing. And even to this day, my father still, you know, five years into it, he finally stopped about a year ago, but he was like, when are you updating your LinkedIn profile? When are you doing your resume? Are you going on jobs? Have you, and I'm like, dad, we don't need to retire or we don't need to go back to work. And he's, 70 and he's still working. My mother actually retired when she was probably about 10 years ago when she was 60. So, you know, two different ends of the spectrum in terms of models of retirement. We chose to go with my mother's because she seemed to be having a lot more fun than my father who was working 70, 80 hours a week. But he, he is, I think of the generation that he kind of identifies with his job and everyone in his generation identifies with their job. And so they've all retired. They've seen that they're bored. They, you know, they did all the house projects that they 
had on their honeydew list. And now they're like, what do we do now? So a lot of them actually did go back to work. And so they're in their early 70s and they're working as hard as they did when they were in their 50s, which doesn't seem all that appealing at all. But, you know, so I still have my occasional bouts of, oh my God, did we do the right thing? And especially in March of this year, watching the stock market go down and down and down and down. And we're like, Ooh, this, this is kind of a, you know, it's a little, it gives you a pause that you're, you know, that you're doing the right thing. In the first half of the show, Rachel, Purple, Dylan, and Allison talked about their past to early retirement. After the break, we discuss whether it has gotten a bad name, but first... All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com, that's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com, and be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Dylan, was there a moment there? You mean when the markets were going down? Yeah. Fortunately, we went through two major market crashes in the past, so we've been braced for things like this a little bit more. We started investing in the late 90s, and so we went through the first dot-com bust, which affected us more because we were in that industry. Uh, and certainly the 0809. And, and during those times, we I would say the 0809 was a little scarier because we we didn't have nearly as much money um, saved up. And we had we had some rental property. We had a lot of mortgages. We had a lot of bills uh, to pay. And so that was a little scary. This time around, our mortgage is paid off. We're in it for the long haul. We're not looking to, to sell any of our assets. 
So it, it's, it hasn't been quite as scary, and it came back pretty quickly. Who knows what the future will hold, but we're, we're feeling pretty good about our current situation. But I also just wanted to go back to your, your previous question, too, just real quick, because I think there's a difference between how you feel about retirement when you, you know, the generational thing, like in your 20s and 30s and later in your 40s and 50s. But I think there's also a difference with how you think about things based on what you did for a living and your identity. Like if you were a doctor, like you were, or Allison's dad who doesn't want to retire, he builds, he's a, he's an engineer in New York city and he builds skyscrapers. One, yeah, one world trade center. So he's working on these projects that are really meaningful and interesting. Whereas I was running marketing for internet companies. And so that feeling of purpose for my job was more like, I was making money and I had some fulfillment, but I wasn't curing cancer or making the world a better place. And so now I can do things that might make the world a better place by help teaching people about personal finance and things like that. So there's that aspect as well. Rachel, let's talk a little more about misgivings. Tell me about how much rent you collected in April compared to what you thought you were going to collect. Yes, I'm glad you asked because there's some things that it's important to safeguard when you're considering early retirement. March and April were tough because not only did the stock market go down, so our portfolios went down, but our rental income was significantly impacted. In a normal month, we make anywhere from eight to $12,000 a month in profit from our rentals. And in April, we made $1,000. So it was quite a big hit. The way I looked at it, though, you know, there was a lot of landlords that were doing better than me. There was a lot of landlords that were worse off than me. And the way I saw it is if we could just break even for a few months, that was totally fine, as long as I didn't lose money and I didn't think I would. Now it's bounced back a lot. We're not back up to our pre-COVID numbers, but we're doing just fine. But it brings us to the important concept of income diversification. Because a lot of people think that having a single source of income and being this full-time salaried employee, there's, you know, you have job security and you have income security. And I don't think there's anything secure or safe about having, being 100% dependent on a single source of income. Because what happens when you get laid off, when your hours get reduced, when you get fired? So I talk about income diversification, which is just the idea of having multiple streams of income. And that way, if one of them is impacted, you have all these other income streams keeping you afloat. That's the only reason I wasn't in a complete panic in April and in March. It's an important point, especially if you are more of the nest egg theory of how to get to financial independence. You may not have multiple streams unless you are fairly savvy about diversifying between stocks and bonds and real estate and other forms of income, whether you have pensions or not. But income diversification is important. And the key for all of us is we're looking at very long retirement trajectories. So if we don't find ways to protect ourselves during down markets, whatever that market may be, we certainly are going to suffer. Purple, let's bring this conclusion full circle. We've talked a lot about the decision to retire early and what that means. I've been feeling like there's a big backlash against the retire early movement, not necessarily against what I would call FIRE, financial independence, retire early. I think there are a lot of supporters who think financial independence is more important than ever, even in the midst of a recession and pandemic. But there does seem to be a lot of pushback at this idea of retiring early. Are you noticing this and are you feeling it? I've been noticing some confusion and I think the FIRE community might have a marketing problem 
because <laughs> we need to define what early retirement means in our acronym. I believe that my definition varies from other people's as is my definition of work. I think of work as something you do specifically for the money, as in you would not do it for free. And that informs my idea of early retirement, which I think of as no longer working, but that doesn't mean that I don't keep writing on my blog or going on podcasts or giving speeches or whatever random life I want to live in the future. So I think we need to lock down our definitions. (laughs) Dylan and Allison, are you feeling this pushback? Do you think retiring early is getting a bad name? You guys are doing the full force, not looking for income generation are people starting to turn against this philosophy? It's funny because I, you know, I read a lot of blogs and I, I, I'm on a couple of different Facebook groups. And people are either very adamantly for retiring early or, oh, I will never leave my job because it's what my identity is and I will never leave. And I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, whatever. That's the whole point of financial independence is you live your life the way you want to live it. If you want to retire early, then kudos to you. If you want to keep working, then hats off and go forth. But it's, it's been interesting with COVID that people are more hesitant and they're doing other, it's, it's created a little bit of a panic in that people are like, oh, maybe, maybe I need to sell and sell and wait for the market to come back up or I don't know, whatever, whatever. They're doing all the things that we typically have advocated against, you know, like just buy and hold. Just don't even like forget your password on your accounts. Don't look at your bank accounts. Don't look at your 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 401k because it's going to be terrible for the next couple of years. And so if, if people would just calm down and maybe take the emotion out of it, it would help alleviate some anxiety. And so I think people are maybe turning against the early retirement part because there is an emotional aspect to it that I think people don't really address. And so I think the emotional part of all of what's happening in the world right now is hitting us as the community and retiring early. And so it's, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I can't retire now because it's, there's just too much going on. So I think we just need to like caution people to take a step back and take a breath and then make your decision. I think another thing that's really interesting right now with coronavirus is that you know, some people are working, getting to work from home now, and they're thinking, wow, this is what the fire lifestyle is, is like, right? But to be honest, it really isn't. I mean, you're not able to experience all the great things that we normally would experience, like all the travel and getting out into the community and being with your friends and family. And so that aspect actually might be turning people off of it a little bit because they might be thinking, my gosh, I don't want to be cooped up in my house. This is boring. I couldn't imagine this lifestyle. So there's that aspect as well right now, I think. Rachel, tell me a little bit about what's been going on with the pandemic and the recession. Are family and friends pushing back on you now saying, okay, you had your fun, but this is serious. You should really go get a job now. No, not at all. Actually, I think my family and friends have learned to stay out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've gotten a lot of support and My passive income, although certain income streams have been hit, other ones have really done well. So overall, it's canceled out and we're we're staying pretty consistent on an income basis. So no worries there. But yeah, in terms of the overall backlash, I mean, I agree with Purple. I think that there there is a lot of confusion with how we define early retirement. And, you know, every so often I'll get a reader or follower and they'll be like, Rachel, you're not retired. What are you talking about? (laughs) And it's not that I'm not 
doing anything. You know, some people are retired and they do the beach thing and that's great. I just get bored really, really easily. So that's not going to work for me. That's why I continue to have projects. I continue to write books and do my courses. And the ultimate goal is just to make an impact on as many people as I can. I also want to know where this definition of retirement is laying on the beach comes from because I've literally never met anyone that fits that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Going to the beach and hanging out or, you know, we, in fact, that's actually what we did. We just came back from a 10 week trip in January and we were in South America for a couple of weeks and we were in Spain and Portugal. And so, you know, there's something to be said about just relaxing and taking some time to evaluate your life or just like, just enjoy and revel in the fact that you can do this because we're very fortunate to be in this place in our lives that we can do that because not everybody can do it. And we're finding, we're seeing this happen during the pandemic that some people are really good with money. Some people are not so good with it or not good that, that there's a judgment call to that or have handled their money better than others. And so, you know, this is where you see where the privilege really and the luck really comes in. Dylan, I've seen it suggested before that people who retire early actually experience more morbidity and mortality. They get more sick and they die earlier, which doesn't make a lot of sense, right? As Allison was just saying, it's actually good to be able to take a long vacation and to rest and relax. Is it possible that retiring early could could hurt your health as opposed to benefit it? I mean, I think it's certainly possible. Everything is such on an individual level. For us, I think in, in most ways, it's improved most aspects of our lives. We, we work out way more because we have the time to do that. We focus on our health and our wellness much more than we did when we were working, especially our mental wellness as well. We're not nearly as stressed out. We're not commuting and, and packed subway cars to work every single day. We're not dealing with office politics and crazy bosses every day. You know, I can tell you just from looking at our lives that it's, we, we see the positives much greater than the, the negatives. That being said, I'm sure there are some folks who, you know, this would be a, a difficult lifestyle for them. And maybe, you know, it would accelerate. I know one of the reasons Allison's dad, besides the fact he has an interesting job, doesn't want him to retire is because he's seen other friends of his who have retired and they seem miserable or they've... They've had health issues. Yeah. You know, a couple of guys have had heart attacks or whatever, you know, and it's causing correlation. Like, are they having heart attacks because they're in their 70s or are they having heart attacks because they stopped working and now they're home all day with doing the honey-do list and trying to figure, you know, trying to get out of that. They can say that it's because they're retired and they're getting sick because they've retired. But I think, frankly, you make your retirement what you make of your life. And so if, you, if you're just going to sit on your butt all day long at home and binge on Netflix, then yeah, maybe you might have some more health issues. But, you know, if you go out and you start, like we work out a lot more, we walk every day. Like if you make time to focus on your physical life like you've done your work life, you can make retirement a lot better than these people who are having health issues. Dylan, let's sum it up. Any reservation about giving a young person the advice to follow the path that you followed? No. 
but I would give some caveats because I just would make sure that you you have your financial life really, really in order. I'm glad that in a way, I'm sort of glad that we didn't know about all these rules of thumb because we might have done it. We might have sort of jumped off the cliff earlier without as much of a financial cushion as we do now. And so to your earlier question about how we feel about the markets going down, like we feel pretty good because we were able to really solidify our, our financials to a level that's a lot higher than the rules of thumb. And so that would be one caveat. It's like the lifestyle is fantastic if you can feel comfortable. If you can't sleep at night, I've talked to people who can't sleep at night because they're worried about the stock market or their finances. That's probably not the best situation to jump off the cliff and quit your job. But if you have all your financials set and you're in a good place there, then I would highly recommend it. Purple, a 25-year-old is reading your blog, writes you and says, I want to be just like you. Any reservations in saying go for it? Mm, None that I can think of. I would say I I wouldn't have reservations. Everyone should achieve financial independence. It's amazing. And you can have so much more impact and do what you love. As long as you have, you know, a purpose that you're working towards, you know what you're going to do with your time. And, you know, would I tell somebody, quit your job and take a leap of faith and the net will appear? No, absolutely not. I think it's important to have an exit strategy to run the numbers, to have a clear plan of how you're going to get there. But yeah, I think, I think it's a great thing for anyone to work towards. So I wanted to do this episode because I feel like everyone is in support of financial independence, but that second half of the acronym, Retire Early, has really gotten a bad name in the last few years. And clearly there are people like you guys who are going out there and living their lives and defining what retirement looks like for them or for you, which sometimes means work and sometimes means not working. But we all have the ability to make our lives what we want it to be, especially if we have the financial means to do it. So thank you guys for coming on and talking about what it feels like to be retired early. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by giving you guys a chance to tell us what's up next in your life and where we can find you on the internet. Dylan and Allison, let's start with you. What's up next and where can we find you? Well, we just finished our second book, which we, we're just going to tease. It's, it's a much more challenging book written to a different audience than we're used to talking to. And that comes out in November and December. And what you else? can find us. Well, actually, we're going on a road trip to Seattle on Wednesday. So what? one into purple. But uh, you can find us at retire, uh, retireby45.com or on Twitter at retire underscore by underscore 45. We'll also be at FinCon next year in Austin if, if and when everybody can actually get back together again. Rachel, where can we find you and what's up next in your life? So, Doc G, I haven't announced this yet, but I figure this is a great time. I am going to be releasing the second edition of Money Honey in about a month, and Paula Pant is writing the forward, so I could not be more excited. So that's the most exciting thing that's coming up for me. And anyone can reach me. You can search Money Honey Rachel on any social media. I will give your listeners my passive income starter kit for free. So if anyone wants to download that, you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. And Purple, you can tell us what's happening in September, first of all, and where we can find you. 
<laughs> yep. In September, I'm quitting my job to retire at 30. And you can find me at a purplelife.com where I have promised to continue writing weekly at least one year into retirement. All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Purple Life, Money Honey Rachel, and Dylan and Allison from Retire by 45. That's a wrap. Funny story, or, or maybe not so funny of a story. I was scheduling an interview for today, Monday, November 2nd. I usually record four to six weeks before the episode goes live. And as I was discussing getting this appointment on the book so we could record an episode, the panel I was going to record with, multiple people said, you know what, November 2nd, it's the day before the election I'm going to be too stressed out. I don't think I can record that day. Let's schedule for another time. And it made me think a lot about what's happening today. This is the day before the presidential election. Here at Earn and Invest, we don't talk about politics a lot, except in how it relates to money and certainly our political climate and who is in power, as in the president or who runs Congress, whether that be the Democrats or Republicans, all can affect financially how we do over the next few years. But these are really difficult conversations. It's hard to talk about politics in a group of people who's normally used to talking about money. Now, let's think about this. Most people would say the same thing about money. It's really hard to talk about money with strangers or at least with people who aren't close family. In fact, it's really hard to talk about money with family also. Yet we do it here all the time. In fact, it's a normal part of our conversation. Yet the same taboo exists when we move into the political realm. So we don't talk about politics here much. And my point is not to express a political opinion But to just take a moment and recognize the great anxiety gripping our country, especially right now, these feel like strange and different times. Our country is more divided than ever. We don't know what the political climate is going to look like over the next few decades. And that breeds uncertainty. And uncertainty breeds anxiety and fear and even anger. These are things we're facing with right now. This is a strange day in our history. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? But again, I think it brings us back to our main point of why we talk about finances in general. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. I don't know what's going to happen with these elections. But what I do know is that I can prepare myself as best as possible for whatever is going to happen in the future. And the way we do that is we pay attention to our finances. We pay attention to a lot of other things, too. We pay attention to our emotions and our relationships. But here at Earn and Invest, we talk a lot about getting our financial houses in order, making sure we have that emergency fund, making sure that we have investments, maybe real estate, stocks, bonds. This is the way we prepare for the unknown and the uncertain. So do I know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the day after that? No. Do I know what's going to happen with these political elections? Who's going to be president? No. Do I have any idea how that's going to affect me economically? I certainly don't. And neither do you. We're all in this together. 
But what we do know is if that we are careful and plan and build our lives financially stable, have good investments, build sound businesses, and pivot, we're going to be just fine. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say, is ultimately, I think we're going to be just fine, one way or another, regardless of the outcome of this election, because we're doing our best to prepare. And that's all we can ask of ourselves, and that's all we can do, is prepare for the unknown, financially, emotionally, intellectually. And we'll keep on doing that together, here on the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, guys. So, uh, what did you think? It was Super cool. Fun. I've never done very, very well organized. So, <laughs> yeah. thanks. Like, the organization actually helps in this case when you have yeah. when you have four people on. But right. I wanted to bring out a conversation that was just a little bit different. That was just a little bit more nuanced, um, and that celebrated you guys and what you're doing because you're all doing really cool things. And uh, I think people should kind of look up to what you do and read how you're managing this. And I, I, you know, I think, as you guys were saying, we all kind of have to decide what our best life looks like. And you guys are all doing that. Yeah, thanks so much. And I, I like your style, Doc. I think you do a really cool job of bringing out people's, you know, deeper thoughts on some of this. Sometimes these topics, these conversations can be kind of shallow. So. Um, I like the I like getting a little bit deeper into um, some of these talking points, and I think you do a really good job um, in general. Um. <laughs> some of the food they they might not let us in, but otherwise we're okay. <laughs> no, Mexico's open. Yeah, Don't I actually me. I hear it is. I don't know. I, I, we love Mexico and we tend to go, we like to try to go once a year during the winter, but uh, mm-hmm. we obviously missed out on that this year. But maybe, yep. maybe next year. Maybe. We'll see. I have no idea. But yeah, it's been fun completely changing all my plans. And now it is US centric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Until it won't be, right? I mean, that's yeah. life. Like you'll do this for a certain amount of time and then hopefully the world will change and you'll be like, okay. Yeah. Now I'll try something different. You know, you are kind of young. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, you do have some years. Like, are you if, sure? <laughs> if you waste a year, you know, quote unquote, waste a year hanging out in mm-hmm. the U.S. or two, you'll be mm-hmm. fine. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.